Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh. Welcome to Arts for the Health of It. I am Richard Wilmore, your host. And I'm Constanza Rader, your other host. And when we, I want to first kind of start off with Joyce, introduce you to Joyce. Um, everyone here on the panel is here to talk about a book called When Home is Not Safe. And Joyce, can you tell us um, where that book came from? There we go. I'm going to attempt to make you bigger so people can see it. That's me. That's not fun. There. How about that? That's better. So, oh, I'm, I'm kind of dyslexic, but here we go. When Home is Not Safe, Writings on Domestic, Verbal, Emotional, and Physical Abuse um, is an anthology put together by two women, Judith Skillman and um, Lanera Lucas. Uh, they put out a call for um submissions about two years ago or a little like last uh, two years ago january and so it's taken two years to get the book together and the anthology was published in september with um mcfadden books but you can find it on their website and it can order it through your local bookstore um and this the book is um cataloged in different sections um of the five sections are home, trauma, uh, PTSD, and in retrospect, sorry, four sections. Um, and so all of us here today have a piece in one of those particular sections of this anthology. Hmm. Thanks and for that introduction, Joyce. I would love to go around the room now and just have you all share um, a little bit about who you are and what your a little bit about your contribution to this book. Um, and Joyce, you want to go first? Since of course, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm a former professor. Um, I currently live in West Virginia, and I wrote um, a memoir called "The Out of Body Girl." It's not published yet, but it's about my experience with um, domestic violence and dissociation. And um, I'm excited to be in this anthology and to share any ideas um, with um, our audience today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Joyce. Who should we kick it to next, Richard? I'm going to throw, let's see, we'll go down the list. Robert. Sure. So, so, uh, so my name is Robert and uh, I, my piece is a memoir called my first online love and it showcases um, how domestic violence can occur within the uh, disability community. Wow, thank you, Robert. Thank you. Um, let's see, I, the names are so small when there's so many people, archaic. <laughs> uh, hi there, I, uh, I'm a 
Pittsburgh-based writer and uh, social worker. I work with youth coming out of foster care, helping them build life skills. Um, I also uh, co-host Deep in the D-Pad, which is a, a podcast that explores video games through an intellectual lens uh, with my buddy who is a, uh, a video game developer. Um, and my piece is called Holy Days. It's a, it's a poem. It's relatively short, so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, you know, that's the, that's what you read the book for, right? Um, but yes, it's about, it's about um, domestic violence, you know, occurring from the perspective of a child. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Lynn, uh, you're up. Lynn. Hi, I am Lynn McGill. Um, I'm located near Seattle, Washington. I'm an author, technical writer, and artist. And a lot of my work, especially the two pieces in this book called Michael and You Smiled, which are nonfiction. I write quite a bit of nonfiction that talks about my childhood as the, the only daughter of an alcoholic and drug dealer and how that those things impact your childhood and your normal meter is kind of broken and the process of reconciling that as an adult. So a lot of my pieces deal with that rear view mirror of um, looking back and hopefully giving other people hope that um, there is healing, there is a process and you can transform some good out of those things mm, beautiful. and let them know they're not alone. Mm. Thank, Thank you, Lynn. Christina. All right, Christina. Okay. Uh, I'm Christina Hogue. I'm a, a journalist and author, and my piece in the book is a, a personal essay, creative nonfiction, I guess, um, about my experience getting out of the abusive relationship uh, that I was in some years ago. And uh, I'm also a facilitator um, in a domestic violence support group, um, which where I once went to for help, you know, many years ago, mm. and now I've been trained um, as a domestic violence counselor, and I'm a volunteer facilitator at that support group. Wow. So, Very cool. Giving, giving back and raising awareness about domestic violence, which I, I think is, is so much more pervasive than we, than we think it is. Mm. And you've come full, full circle to be on the other side and serving. That's awesome. I guess we just have Heidi at last left. Hello, everyone. I'm Heidi Seaborn. I'm also a Seattle-based writer and predominantly a poet, um, but I also write essays and I'm an editor. And I have two poems in this anthology. Um, the first one is actually the first poem in the anthology and it's called Weather. And it's about living with um, domestic abuse. And then there's another poem within called Drafting a Flight Plan, which is, um, as I think the title implies, about getting out. Um, and so I'm very delighted to have work in this really important anthology. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And I love the description about this book. Um, I'll just read this if you if you'll allow me. The poems, memoirs, and creative nonfiction pieces collected here tell of real incidences of abuse, as well as of those who left destructive and unsalvageable relationships. The beauty and truth of the language, as well as the honesty and courage, set this apart, anthology apart from self-help manuals and academic treasuries on domestic violence. This book offers a path forward to healing, health, and fulfillment using the power of art to give voice where voice has been stifled, forgotten, overlooked, or denied. 
And of course, that's what we are all about here and like featuring at Arts for the Health of it is um, how we can use the arts to advance, you know, improve our health, to advance social causes and issues. Um, and what a beautiful example of this. And thank you guys all for your courage for sharing your art with the world and your your expression of such vulnerable um, situations and and um, instances in your life and to share them with others to help elevate this this really important conversation. So thank you all for being here and for sharing. It was brought up a little bit ago about feeling alone and during things like this. Um, what does it feel like to all, because we were talking before we went live about um, about you if you all knew each other or not and none of you have. So how does that feel to kind of be all in the same virtual room today? It makes it makes the book more alive for me to see these faces of other writers. So it's it's really very moving to be honest, and to give. I think it's so important to give face to individuals um, who have experienced this, uh, because people aren't just the victims in their stories. They're they're the heroes of their stories. So mm. um, I, that's what this this meeting has been for me. It's very. Um, it's very exciting and very healing to see other people um, speaking their stories and their truths. So thank you for this. Hmm. And you. I know there were some other people who were supposed to be on today that were having connection issues. And so I wanted to apologize that they're not able to jump on. But um, hopefully when we figure that out, they can come on and talk at a later date because it's a great conversation to have. One of the things that um, impressed me about this anthology is is how <laughs> jam-packed it is. Um, it's, there's, there's not a lot of white space. The pieces run from one to another to another, which is unusual in anthologies, but I think is, is um, indicative of the subject matter, the, the sort of the, the, the density and sadly universality of the experience. Um, and so I encourage um, viewers to pick up this anthology and read it, and you'll be um, sort of amazed. You've got to stop from time to time and just take a breath. Um, it it just it's it's overwhelming, and to be in a space with others um, visually and um, emotionally is is really powerful. Mm. Thank you, Heidi. I liked to take a moment. Uh, and I know some of you uh, wrote in your pre-interview form that you have some things to show the audience and to uh, do for the audience that they can they can put into their everyday lives. So if we can take Joyce for a minute, and Joyce wants to offer a breathing technique, and I think that would be a great thing to maybe throw in right now as something, because this is a very heavy subject. Mm -hmm. And so I want to give everybody the space that they need. And uh, I think now would be a great time. Okay, great. This, this may be very obvious, but I always forget it. And I was recently writing an article about a woman who'd been killed in a domestic violence situation. And I was going through major PTSD. So I reached out to some friends and one particular friend said, remember this breath um, this, this specific way of breathing. So it's simply to quiet yourself, breathe in four counts 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Breathe in for, hold for, exhale for, hold for, and just repeat that cycle. Breathe in for, hold for, exhale four counts, and then hold again. And it really helped bring my blood pressure down and just helped me get grounded so I can continue to do the work that I want to do. As difficult as our writing is, it's important to do, but to also keep ourselves healthy in the process. So that's a breathing technique that has worked for me. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Joyce. That's Thanks. I just did like a couple of those and that felt really good. Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I love things that only you only need like a minute to do to like completely yes. change every your entire day. I love that. Yeah. Very cool. Go ahead, Richard. Were Let's you? I do have a question because I want to know how you all came to be writing uh, for when home is not safe. Was this something that you found like people they were looking for entries or did they come to you? I'm, I'm curious how this actually came about. They were uh, looking for entries online. And I already had a couple of pieces that I had written that I felt would be a good fit since I'd written. I'm also working on a memoir like a few other people and had a couple of selections that I went, oh, yep, that would be, that would definitely be applicable here. Hmm. Thank you. And that was basically the same with me as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of an open call. And then you guys mm -hmm. yes. we gathered the anthology together. Well, and I love the, I, I love this idea of using the arts to um to express and elevate this topic um could you would anyone like to share about um what you personally got out of writing your story and then getting seeing it all the way to that that point of being published and other people seeing your story how how was what role did that play did writing play in your um in your journey Okay, do you want to? Yeah, I'll like give this, I'll give this one a try. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, writing about such, uh, you know, uh, traumatic subject matter is challenging. Um, and I often approach uh, specifically poetry um, from like when I'm in a really low place, that's often when I'll, you know, reach for a pen or um, a keyboard and uh, try to try to get make something out of it, you know, and there there is something cathartic about being able to do that. Um, and then, you know, when I have some space um, from that, like emotional pain, I will revisit and that's when I'll kind of get the revision in. Um, I, you know, I want a kind of a more objective eye in order to to be able to like look at the piece and, you know, see it um, without without all that, you know, burden. Uh, but I think for me, some of the most one of the things that I'm most grateful for with writing is, is the, the forgiveness that I've been able to have for the people, um, you know, who have committed wrongdoings to me or around me. Uh, there's a, there's like an empathy building, right. Where I have to, if I'm, let's say, let's say I'm looking at a specific situation um, and I'm really scrutinizing it to try to understand all, you know, everything that, that had happened and uh, try to suss out, you know, poetic details or something. Uh, to be able to like perspective take and really see it from someone else's, you know, point of view and, and um, you know, perhaps 
you know, understand that they were ignorant at a certain point in their life and that, you know, if, if it's a person that you've had a long relationship with, right, um, you can track them over time and you can understand who they were at different phases. Um, and it doesn't, you know, excuse the abuse at all. I should make that very clear. Um, but but it does provide insight and, and that can be really helpful and therapeutic. Hmm. That's beautiful. Does anyone else want to chime in on that question? Yeah, sure. I'll go. Um, so like, so for me, it was um, extremely cathartic um, getting to do a heck of a lot of introspection um, because um, there is kind of a stigma um, that uh, domestic violence, it only impacts those who are not disabled. So it allowed me to do some heavy introspection uh, and to shove aside some of the internalized ableism um, that I had about uh, domestic violence and, uh, and society at large and, um, and re really examine um, the, the roots of abuse in a disability community um, possibly and um, and learn that um, that that um, abuse doesn't discriminate um, mm. but on the basis of uh, uh, of getting published and my message out there it was extremely um, extremely cathartic for me knowing that my truth was uh, was easily accessible for others to um to examine and, and like if it helps other people then hip hip hooray so <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> thank you for sharing robert yeah it seems like people probably have a an image of their head in their head of what domestic abuse is or looks like maybe informed by the media or just what their personal experience might be. Um, but like you said, Robert, it's, you know, it's not just one type of person that experiences abuse. Um, and it's what a, again, a great reason to put together an anthology like this from showing perspectives from people from different backgrounds and experiencing different type of domestic abuse. So thank you for sharing and including your story, Robert. Thank you for reading. <laughs> was there anyone who saw the post and thought now is the time for me to have a voice about this? Or had you all been writing about your experience beforehand? Mm, good question. So um, I had written um, the poems that appear in, in this anthology I'd written before. Um, and and in fact, had, had published previously, um, but I'm, but I, I, I think I hadn't sort of thought about them as much, um, and you know, I knew what the subject was, but, but to then have them within this larger collection of work, I think, makes it very sort of clear what's going on, um, and I. I wanted to address um, sort of the, the what happens when 
when you're able to write um, to, to sort of uh, Richard's comment, but the, the idea of, of writing and using, in, in my case, um, using form to drive, um, to sort of propel the poem forward and, um, and contain, sort of contain the, the issue. And um, in the case of my poem, Weather, which opens the anthology, it's um, it's in a hazel form, which is an Arabic love poem form, mm-hmm. and so it completely kind of um, perverts the that that form. But the form works in terms of creating that sort of sense of of um, entrapment um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and repetitiveness, and so I think you know. I th- I th- I think that the 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 act of writing, the act of publishing, whether it's for the first time or publishing again and again, you know, also <laughs> helps. And so I, you know, I was quite grateful to have um, this poem surface um, for actually, I think a third time. So um, hmm. because I think it's important, and and it also is that sense of of, of the, the experience resurfacing over and over. Thank you, Heidi. Yeah, I'll chime in. Um, I had written about my experience uh, fiction, in fiction, actually, a novel, and it's a young adult novel, and it's sort of loosely inspired by my experience called Girl on the Brink. And the reason I wrote that, you know, um, as fiction, because I didn't want to write nonfiction. It was just too raw and painful. And I was mm-hmm. able to then... Fiction allows you to take that step back and, you know, it's happening to someone else, basically, you know, the character in your book. Um, So by the time I saw this, um, it was much this call for submissions. You know, I thought, well, this is the next step, you know, that I'm able to write about my experience in actually what happened to me, not to my character, not to my fictional character. So this was kind of a it was a new thing for me to write about it. you know, the, the reality, you know, the, the, the truth of it. So it was, and it worked. I mean, I, I think it just helps you process it and it helped me process it as, um, you know, something that just happened to me, you know, it's just another of my experiences in life because that's what it is. Ultimately, it's just something that happens to you in life. It's not, it doesn't define you in any way. Hmm. And I would like to add that one of the reasons that this uh, calls for submissions was really attractive for uh, for me. I had been uh, writing about um, my uh, my life, which is um, it's a roller coaster in and of itself, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever I would submit uh, or look for places to submit these very broad personal things, um, the calls for submissions, they seemed incredibly um, hyperbolic in terms of the kind of raw uh, pieces they wanted. So so rather than just saying we want um, your truth on X and Y matter, I kind of had the sense that they wanted a 
certain kind of truth that they could easily market, which was bizarre to mm. me. So, so I um, so when I saw this, um, I was instantly drawn because it was no frills, no like we want writing that glitters on each and every page <laughs> with with exquisite emotion and things like that. So, right. so yeah. I'd like to piggyback on what um, Christina said, and this might be helpful to listeners, is that often it can be very helpful to, to tell your story first in the form of fiction. Mm. My memoir started off as a novel that I worked on for a number of years, and then I had made the decision to turn it into a memoir. And when this call came out, that was sort of a propelling moment for me to really take every chapter and how can I really bring every chapter more to life um, by, by turning this into a memoir. So this particular um, opportunity with the um, anthology allowed me, it, it kind of inspired me to really get back in and revise the book and own my truth. There's nothing wrong with fiction. You don't ever have to turn a piece of fiction into creative nonfiction if you don't want to. But for me, it was very empowering to say, yes, this is actually my life. And it was easier It was easier to just tell the truth than to try to put all the pieces of a fiction piece together to create truth. I just found for myself, just, just tell the story and own it. And it's been a real transformative experience, I would say. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store, organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Mindy Peterson, host of the podcast Enhance Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education. You can find me and Enhance Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. Make your day richer with The Richard Wilmore Show. Meet amazing musicians, talented actors, brilliant authors, hilarious comedians, and the most creative people in entertainment. Download the KP Media TV app to watch on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire. Medical professionals are burning out at an alarming rate. Burnout can cause health workers to feel hopeless, trapped, helpless, worthless, depressed, sleepless, and tired. By joining the Hearts Need Art Gratitude Grams program, medical staff receive a personalized email and video from a musician, an artist, or writer once a week that includes a message of thanks, an encouraging song, uplifting poem, or a simple art activity. After watching their Gratitude Gram, participants report feeling more hopeful, empowered, energized, and appreciated. If you are or know a healthcare worker that would like to receive free Gratitude Grams, please visit heartsneedart.org. Mm. For, for me, I had written an entire uh, novel for National November Writing Month before I started formally publishing, and I just dumped it all, you know, got a giant draft out there, um, because it took a while to realize that, uh, you know, into adulthood to go, oh, hey, maybe some of this stuff wasn't normal, and then 
after I wrote my memoir, I kind of sat on it and I'm still sitting on it, but I didn't really know what to do with it from there. And I wasn't quite ready to tell those stories publicly. I wasn't sure how to navigate some of the people being talked about still being alive mm -hmm. and, you know, how I wanted to deal with that fallout, if any um, responses, possible family responses, those type of things from other individuals. And so I just kind of sat on it. And then when I decided to go back and get my master's, um, that was such an awesome writing program that they engaged us with a lot of other writers as well. And many of them write nonfiction also about their personal experiences. And we were able to talk to them and say, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile telling your truth publicly? Um, what happens if somebody reads it? What's happened to you? And that gave, and I also had to get over some of my own internal fears as you know, some of that negative critical talk we get in our heads as to, you know, who wants to hear me whine about the stuff that happened to me? Who wants to hear a middle-aged woman play a victim? You know, who's going to read that? And mm -hmm. as I started reading my peer stories and other things, I realized there was a place for that and that a short snippet in time of nonfiction does not define me as, an, you know, it's not an all or nothing fallacy where you're a victim just because you write a piece about something that happened to you. Mm -hmm. So it was also helped me with an emotional process and getting in touch with the writing community and the right people helped me reconcile a lot of those things about putting it out there. Hmm. Anyone else want to hop on that question? I'd I just want to uh, add something. Um, you know, it's 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 tremendous cathartic to to write about your experiences about trauma, and there's actually been psychological studies done about people who write about their trauma actually have longer and better recoveries from that trauma than people who don't write about it, and mm. which I thought was really interesting when I read that. Um, so I think this is you know I, I think this is just a tremendously healing and healthy thing to do. Mm. Yeah. That sharing, there's something really powerful about sharing our stories and externalizing, you know, our mm -hmm. stories and what we've been through. Uh, I'm curious who you want to read this book. Who would you want to read this book and what do you want them to get out of it? I'll, I'll start with that. Um, so there's two specific audiences I would love to have read this book. And one is, um, people who have been in similar situations, who haven't been able to tell their story. And I think our stories might be able to um, give them the courage maybe to think about um, if they want to do that and how that might help them. But also, and this is a more difficult audience, is reaching this particular audience is abusers. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how to reach that audience, to be honest. But um, I think... I've known, I can speak to one abuser I know who did the work and has turned his life around as a result. And I think part of how he was able to do that was to step into seeing other people's perspectives. And this book allows a reader to do that, to see the other perspective and to see the consequences of abusive behavior. So that's an audience I would love for this book to reach. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Joyce. 
Who else? And to piggyback on what Joyce said, I, I would like family members also to read it as well, or anybody who has had someone reach out to them and say, you know, this is something I've struggled with, so they can better understand their experiences, even if they haven't been through it. Um, you know, I've got something going on in my life right now with a relative who's going through something and I have never had their personal experiences, but I've been, you know, researching and reading articles and going, okay, this is, you know, what it's like for them and how can I better support them and, you know, not um, discount their experiences or trivialize them. Mm. That's a good one. Because I think sometimes when we're close to someone that's dealing with trauma or has come through trauma, sometimes they're not yet in a place to articulate what they've been through so that you can understand what they've been through and how to support them. And while no one group is a monolith and each person responds to different traumatic events differently, I think what, what you're saying, Len, when what you've done with your loved one is is really good insight for people. Like we can learn from... Um, you know, we work with a lot of cancer patients. And so, you know, if someone, you know, has been diagnosed with cancer, like read cancer memoirs, read articles written by people who have survived those types of traumas. Um, and, you know, same goes for domestic, domestic abuse. I even wonder, like, if I feel like there's, and maybe some of you might have some insight on that. I wonder if there's a lot of abusers, people that are abusing people out there that don't know that they're abusing, that they're abusive. And do you think that maybe some of the stories you share in this book might help them even self-identify that some of the behaviors they're doing are abusive and do have this type of negative impact on, on people in their lives? Just curious. Um, I'll step in. I, I think abusers actually do know what they're doing. Um, mm. They're very conscious that they pick people, uh, usually with, uh, you know, maybe not very strong boundaries. I think that's the, the thing that uh, comes up most most often. And they select who their 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 target is, and mm. they very consciously go after them. This, I, you know, and again, it's all about control. It's a pathological need for control is what drives this. What drives that? You know, I don't know. You know, there's many uh, books and, and there are some studies and books about that. Um, different personalities tend to um, gravitate toward abusiveness, um, such as narcissism, borderline personality. Obviously, mm -hmm. substance abuse is another big thing. But abusers, they know what they're doing, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, th that's the, they'd make a choice in doing that. Um, so it would be really interesting if they did read about abuse. And I know there are, you know, domestic batterers programs that when people get charged with domestic violence charges in court, they get sent to batterer programs, um, which have some success um, and some not. But, um, you know, and they try to, to again, it, it's about empathy, having empathy about your victim. So anything such as reading some of these experiences that engenders empathy towards the victim, I think is a really, really useful thing. I would like to piggyback off of that a bit and, and kind of say, like, I think when you're talking about abusers, I I think you mean the the ones who are not just doing abusive uh, things, either consciously or subconsciously, I think you're talking about um, like a pattern of learned behavior that is manifested into um, into a personality 
disorder or something like that. Is that correct? Or... Hmm. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. 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 Heidi, it looks like you and well, there's I... so many people on muting. Go, go, go. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, I, I, I think um, I want to sort of jump on what Robert's saying and, and I, because I, I, I'm not certain that people all that are abusers always know, um, because in some cases it is part of, of, um, you know, sort of deep rooted personality issues. And, um, and, and that's part of the, the, the way it manifests is, is in, um, in not acknowledging and gaslighting and whatever, you know, so I, mm. you know, that I, I think the more people that can read the stories and that's the wonderful thing about art and about a show like this is that it's, it's, um, it, it helps bring these stories into other forums where people can encounter them and maybe see themselves either as, um, on one side or the other of, of these stories as a, mm. as a, a victim or as an abuser. Yeah, I, I see this more on a, um, a spectrum of self-awareness in terms of abusers because um, um, some, some families have this ancestral history of abuse mm -hmm. and some people, I believe, just understand that, that is, they believe that that is how the world functions. I mean, I believed that that being abused was how the world functioned. Hmm. Um, so I, I think there's, I, I see, I see the situation of abuse on a more, um, I don't think there's any black and white on it. I think some, some abusers are flat out um, manipulative and others, I think it's more, it can be seen as more of um generational trauma that repeats itself and and then mm. the perspective is this is the way life works mm. one of the things that comes to mind when you're speaking about this is the debate that's really prevalent in parenting circles over the last several years about spanking versus not spanking and all of this research coming out about all about spanking essentially being an adverse childhood event and um but then there's this strong pushback of parents who I assume mm. love their children and want to do the best thing for them. But that's what that's the only thing that they've known. It's the only way of parenting that they've known. And so there's this resistance to the data because their lived experience is different than what the data is saying. Or at least they're like, oh, well, I'm not affected by this. Because, But I think um, I know sometimes reading other people's stories of healing who have been like y'all going through this process of doing the hard work to, to of introspection and looking at those painful parts of your heart that were um, wounded mm -hmm. and dealing with it authentically and honestly stripping away all the things that we do to avoid looking at those tender places of ourselves. And then you're putting them on display. And then I, I, I know when I've read other people's accounts of things that I've dealt with that I maybe not as far on the journey, it helps me recognize, hey, that what I experienced was abuse. And right. I right. you're right. That is that isn't 
um, that wasn't okay. Um, and so I, I, and again, I just applaud you guys for your courage and for, um, for putting, putting it all out there for, for people to see and learn from and identify with. It's really good. Has anyone used any of the other arts to express themselves? Obviously for this book, you've all written about it, but I know we have some musicians in the room and we have some visual <laughs> artists. So I'm curious who, or maybe maybe one of another art form was what you originally started with, but now you're writing about it. We're looking at you, RK. <laughs> uh, yeah, I play a little bit of ukulele and by a little bit, I mean, I don't record my, my music or anything like that. It's just, um, it, it has been, you know, just, I guess, as, as an aspect of like my, my personal life, you know, it's, it's been helpful to have different outlets and, you know, different um, areas of the arts to, to draw upon, uh, you know, music and, and writing really don't feel very similar to me at all. Like I, you know, we have this, this umbrella term of the arts and they're both, you know, creative endeavors, but um one is sonic, you know, and, and, uh, you know, one is, is visual or conceptual, you know? And so to be able to, for me, it's been, it's been very helpful to be able to pull upon different aspects. Um, and both certainly are, have been linked with my own healing. Mm. Thanks. Okay. I know we have some other artists in the room. Um, this is Joyce. I, um, I'm also a visual artist and, I, I've done all kinds of different projects where I've used um, visual art to tell the stories of, um, you know, my issues with domestic violence and, and sexual abuse. Um, so one of them is the 100-day project where you just choose. Um, I, what I did was I chose a word every day, and this word was bruise. And then mm. I would do... Um, just a very, I would only let myself work on it for 30 minutes so that it wasn't going to take up my whole day and I wasn't going to get totally lost in the feelings of it. But then I, I would write a little story on the back about what the, the word I had chosen. Um, oops, that was skin. Sorry, not bruise, but I painted a bruise oh, um, wow. and talked, then just wrote about skin and what I, you know, the skin I had in the game. And sometimes I've done a whole another series where I chose. Um, different lines from like fairy tales and things. This, this particular line was from Alice in Wonderland. It's no use now to pretend to be two people. And because I deal with being out of body a lot, I wrote, I draw myself on the ground and up in the air. And it's just a way of visualizing and seeing and expressing um, the experiences in a way that gets it out of your body. It's, mm -hmm. and I find like doing that daily has been really healing for myself. Wow. And you didn't have to spend, that's not an additional hundreds of dollars in therapy. That's no, you with it's, the, yeah. It's a, piece a small of piece of paper and some cheap watercolor. Yeah. That's awesome. As, as a visual artist, you know, it's fun to reconcile art with that because when you've experienced abuse, you can tend to be a little bit reactive and not really in the moment. And so I use a lot of my art. I don't use it to express a lot of the abuse itself, but I use it to slow down and get into the moment mm. and notice details and almost do that breath work that Joyce talked about. It helps me to do that and notice some of the more beautiful and positive things and my way of putting some joy back into the world. Although I have, I'm writing, um, 
a chapbook right now of poems called Ecrasta Quilts um, and photographing some of the quilts I've sewn and writing about the emotional experiences and some of the conversations about those and some of the metaphors in that. And I did a portrait of my grandfather, who's a very controversial figure. Um, figure. I painted one of him um, and I let the tones and the angles kind of express some of that drama and harshness um, of his personality, but also some of the um, wry humor he had as well. And so, and I did one dog portrait of grief of a dog that we lost about a year and a half ago. So, but mm -hmm. most of mine tend to be more healing for myself than outward expression. Mm. Yeah. Anyone else want to hop in on that? I just want to say we have a um, a class at the at the domestic violence shelter that we do called Toolkit, and it's a twelve week, uh, two hour every Saturday thing, and a lot of that deals with art therapy, and the clients love it. Mm. They just love it, and it just involves things like watercolors on paint, um, glitter, you know, just basic sort of art supplies, very cheap art supplies, um, and the clients really love that art therapy. Mm. Yeah, so good. So good. And I, I think you touched on, you know, several of you have mentioned it's sometimes hard initially to verbalize at least directly what you're experiencing. And um, you know, I think someone mentioned something about it, art kind of being the safe container is kind of referred to. And um, I think that's one of the powers that arts have is sometimes when things feel too threatening and overwhelming to our nervous system, um, it gives us these other avenues and other ways to uh, to express ourselves that aren't quite as right. um, direct and threatening mm -hmm. so that you can eventually get to the place where yeah. you can be direct. Yes. I want to know what it feels like. Cause I think a lot of people write or they do art, they do it to sort of, you could stay a little more anonymous. You don't have to throw your name out there, but here we all are with your names and we're talking about it. How does that feel kind of a full circle moment of like, now you're actually, you're not just writing about it, you're talking about it. And uh, I don't know if that feels different or if that's exciting or how, do, how that feels for everyone. I will go. It feels incredibly exciting because um, hmm. you get to, I mean, not only um, do you get to have uh, supportive writers around you, um, you get to you get to process it in real time. So, yay. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not going to lie. It feels a little vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, you know, and sometimes you worry a little bit about being re-traumatized by people who might get a little judgy, or at least mm -hmm. I do personally. Mm -hmm. But for me, you know, my business brain did a risk versus reward. You know, somebody else had to put themselves out there for me to read about it and do my own healing. And so if I can put myself out there so that somebody else doesn't have to go down as far down this path before they start realizing what's going on. Um, and that helps even one person. It's absolutely worth it. Mm. Thank you, Alan. 
Yeah, I just want to uh, jump in and say I totally agree that it is kind of scary. But when you think about it, that, you know, domestic violence has such stigma to it and it is so um, criticized, you know, victim blaming is really what goes on. So anything I can do to put out there to show the truth of it or at least try to explain it's a very complex uh, sort of syndrome or, or, you know, uh, behavior pattern that hopefully it'll help someone um, out there. And if it's one person that I've done my job and I, I do know that um, from speaking about this in public, I've actually um, given, you know, spoken to public, done public speaking about it. And um, also from speaking about my book, I always have people coming up to me afterwards saying that happened to me. Thank mm-hmm. you for telling your story. That happened to my sister, my mother, my daughter. Um, you know, it's uh, incredibly, um, it's so pervasive in our society. The problem is people are afraid to speak up about it because they're afraid of being judged um, and they're afraid of being uh, criticized. And so I think that, you know, the more that we can do just this little bit, you know, putting out an essay, a poem about it um, that can help someone and help break down that stigma and that judginess. um, Hey, I, you know, I'm going to do it. Hmm. I, I agree. I think that's the whole point of this book. I'm really hoping this book gets a large audience. Um, I haven't received responses from anyone from this particular essay in this book, but I have had other essays published, and I can't tell you how many women have reached out and emailed me to say, hmm. I know I'm not alone now. And that's hmm. to me, that's the goal of this book. And I really hope that this book makes its way in the world and finds its audience so that they can also speak their stories. And just know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you, Joyce. Yeah. Anyone else want to hop on that? Richard has the next question. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, I know we promised you like an hour and a half ago that this would only take a half an hour. So I don't want to <laughs> take up your entire day. Uh, but I don't know if anybody has any final words or if Sanzi has any final questions before we let you all go about your day. But we, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and chatting with us. Just thank you for giving us the space. I, you know, yes, really appreciate, really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. This was a lovely and safe conversation. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you felt that way. Thank you for all helping to facilitate that. Hmm. Good stuff. Go buy this book. Yes. Go good. Can we, Joyce, can you throw it? Let me get make you a bigger screen. Throw it up one more time. The book is When Home is Not Safe. It's available, I'm assuming, oh. on Amazon and all the yes. things. Yes. Right. yes. And your local bookstores. Yes. And the McFarland and Sons website directly. Right. Yes. Awesome. Ah, right. Sorry. No, that's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. It's all backwards on this thing. It's very okay. strange. Yes. But you, it Thank looks you perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you all very much for being here. Yes, thank you. If you're uh, watching or listening, make sure you're subscribing wherever you're doing that. We have new episodes every week. We thank you very much for being here. Keep creating, everyone, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health.
You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartsneedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Hearts Need Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.